We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am excited to have on the program today Justin Thomas. He is an elementary school principal serving students, faculty, and community near Nashville, Tennessee. Prior to his work in school administration, he enjoyed eight years as a middle school and high school band director. And during his six-year tenure as principal, his school team has been recognized multiple times by the Tennessee Department of Education for outstanding student growth and achievement gap closure. Dr. Thomas believes that the keys to success revolve around growth and gratitude, the ideas that all members of school can get better, and that a spirit of thankfulness is key to a strong culture. Dr. Thomas is the author of The Principal's Toolbox, Real Talk on Tackling School Leadership. And noticing an abundance of philosophical books about leadership, his purpose in writing The Principal's Toolbox was to take an honest look at many of the practical aspects of the principalship. Aspiring and new principals will find this title especially helpful. Dr. Thomas is married to Susan, and they enjoy their busy life with three daughters in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, welcome, Dr. Thomas, to the program. Thank you, Jethro. I'm excited to be with you today. Yes, I'm excited to have you here as well. 
I'm, I was excited to get your book in the mail. And I want to start by addressing what you write in the very first chapter, which I think is is pertinent to the discussion. And well, it's actually in the introduction or about this book where it says, a teacher came up to me and asked, what is your policy about some really obscure thing? And it made me immediately think of all the times that I've been asked, what's your policy on this, that, or the other? And I remember thinking, do we even need a policy on that? I mean, isn't the answer pretty clear? How do you respond to that question now? Well, a whole lot differently now than I used to. And the more I reflect on that moment that I talk about in the book, it was almost more of a reflection of that teacher's level of comfort with autonomy. And that they, it's kind of like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You know, she clicked her heels together and she knew all along what she needed to do and where she wanted to be. But if people aren't used to being autonomous and using some of their own expertise to solve a problem, they can rely pretty heavily on somebody else to give them the answer or give them permission. And so today, yeah, I don't get that question a whole lot because I think people, fortunately, I hope this is true, have the sense that they're able to control a lot of the environment around them. And we're more thinking partners with each other. I just have a title and my name's a little bigger on the door just because somebody said it has to be that way. But I try to make it a partnership of thought to solve any problem we have. And oftentimes there is no policy. So I'll pretty much say, let's make one together. What makes the most sense here to serve our students and uh, make our school better? Yeah, I remember being asked that question numerous times when I first became a middle school principal. And they would say, well, what's your policy on this, that, and the other? And the only one that I was really sure on was a homework policy. And I said, my policy on homework is that schools are immoral when they try to tell families what they should do in their own homes. So I don't think that we should have any homework. And people stopped asking me what my policy was on things pretty quick because that was not something they were used to. So they said, maybe we don't want to know what Jethro's policy is on certain things because that might be bad for us. So sometimes when we believe something strongly, then it can turn people off when really we're just passionate about something. How do you balance the things that you're passionate about with giving people their own voice in responding to, to certain policy questions or, or how we should do things at our school? I, I'm probably unlike a lot of people. And, and of course, as soon as I say that, somebody will be listening that re- resonates with this statement I'm about to make. But I like contradicting my own opinions because that means I've learned something new. It means that more information has come to bear to make my perspective more well-rounded. So, you know, there are things I believe about grading policies and homework, just to sort of piggyback off of your example and how we should interact with parents and reach out to people, et cetera. But every day I feel like I learn things that either improve that perspective or sometimes completely turn it on its head. So um, I just, I honestly try to be the best listener I can. I'm just, I'm fascinated by the way we can all grow. And I mentioned, you mentioned that in uh, the introduction, that there's always room for us, our perspective to become more complete. And in the moment you think you've got it figured out, something else is introduced to make it um, even more challenging to nail down. I think that's an exciting thing. So probably a long way around the question you asked, but um, I feel like I'm not really so married to one idea or concept that it's not possible to you know, be more thorough with it. Yeah, it's that idea of strong opinions held loosely, that you can have a strong opinion, but when new evidence comes to light, then you can make a different decision based on what you learned and how you uh, figured that out, you know, through the process of learning yourself. 
One of the things you talk about in the book is this idea of how people act when they're stressed. Can you talk a little bit about that and what we should know as we're dealing with people when they're stressed? Because right now, a lot of people are stressed, Yeah, <laughs> to put it lightly. Well, I think this is, this is true at work, and it's certainly true in marriages and friendships where people are stressed by an event or circumstances, but the nearest entity they can express that to is a person. I mentioned spouse, like my wife and I often will talk about, like, are we frustrated about the fact that we've been pinned up and holed up in the house for months without seeing people? Or are we really mad at each other? And the word I like to use at school is cannibalize. And that's the most graphic way I can put it is, you know, if we're frustrated about the fact that, let's say, uh, we didn't get a pacing guide sent to us on time, why are we fighting with each other about this? It has nothing to do with you or me. It has to do with the situation is stressful. And we can't literally eat, eat each other alive over something that neither one of us did and both of us dislike. And, you know, so my, my point in that section was to say too often people in their eagerness to express their emotion, they jump to who's the nearest person I can blame because somebody must be to blame for this. And oftentimes it's a lot of well-intentioned people in the middle of some pretty unfortunate circumstances. So uh, my advice is just for people to be guarded with their own emotions and say, is this really the situation or a person I'm upset with? And you can be a lot more productive if you direct your energy toward the problem rather than the people. So that's, that's great advice, Justin. However, that's not quite as easy to put into practice. So what are some practical tips for helping someone who's frustrated with the situation put that frustration in the right place and not take it out on their coworkers or boss or even their students. Yeah. So practically, I think, you know, you're sitting down with a person and you say, listen, we're both facing this problem. Like let's literally sit down together and let's write out what the problem is. Okay. Do we agree that do we both see that the problem is the same thing? We see the obstacle as being um, similar. Let's both throw out with no judgment, um, some possible solutions that we can make some headway to solve this. And literally write it out and just do lots of reflective listening. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? I hear that. Is that making sense? What I said from my perspective. And then the more you can focus in on just getting to work on the issue and and showing the other party that you care what they have to say and that you understand it, the closer you can move toward a creative solution. Um, So I think finding common ground is on paper probably is the most practical thing I could say to start with that topic. Yeah. So writing things down, finding a common ground, those are all important. What we find when we do that, that usually we can get beyond the frustration that we're feeling with each other and move to a place where we're frustrated about a situation and, or a system. And we can then start attacking that system together. Um, But changing things is often hard in education because there are, you know, traditions and history of why we've done things. How do you go about making change happen? We've all heard a lot of cliches about change. A change imposed is a change opposed. And it can't be, this is why every good leader that I've ever known or worked with is really cautious about jumping in and just modifying everything right away because that disrespects the culture they've come into, the tradition, the circumstances. So I think relationship building, as cliche as I think we all think the sound of relationships, it's so central to the trust building that must take place before you can agree on what the problems are that require changing. I think finding some real go-getters, if you're familiar with just the typical bell curve and the idea of early adopters and innovators, things like that, if you can get five or six people 
that are really into innovation and things of that nature on your team to then become sort of the ambassadors of a message and a, a new way of life that we could carry forward and let them be the ones that go out and spread that message or passion out amongst their people that they already have credibility and rapport with. You start seeing the snowball, pick up snow and gather steam, et cetera. Um, I think change is best accomplished from people who believe in it and from people they already trust. Top-down initiatives, man, you can push them through. And you being the boss, on paper, you can make them happen. But if you want spiritual believers, and I, I use that terminology on purpose. It almost sounds religious. If you want spiritual believers in a culture change or an initiative change, it has to be something that feels like they had a hand in, that their voice was honored, that their autonomy was honored, their experience was honored. It's from a place of trust. And so it's a crock pot, not a microwave. Yeah, that's that's interesting. When I talk about the coaching work that I do with principals through the mastermind, that's exactly how I describe it, that it's a crock pot and not a microwave. And so you can't expect all change to happen immediately like that. And when it does change just like that, then sometimes it doesn't taste quite as good. And so, you know, the crock pot is definitely a, a better solution for that. And I, there was something I wanted to go back to in, in what you said there. Oh yeah. This idea of, of spiritual believers, how do you get people to buy into that to become a spiritual believer of what you're doing? And, and I think I understand the way that you're saying a spiritual believer that something that they can be zealous about and have a belief in, and not just a, this is my job. So I have to do it. You know, I don't think that we have many spiritual believers in standardized testing, although Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're out there, but (laughs) (laughs) there, there are, there are spiritual believers in other things. And in my experience, it's been things like personalizing learning or trauma-informed practices or things like that. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their, their own personal identity replicated over and over and over and over. My research is 
already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers. And we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. So how do you help people become spiritual believers in what you're doing? I don't know that I become them to help them become anything. I think it's almost like a, uh, an armchair quarterback situation or, or, or looking backwards. It's like you almost look up one day and you're so accustomed to operating in a certain fashion that you say, my goodness, I can't imagine living this professional life any other way. The way I like to put it is, certain parts of culture, it's not what we do, which sounds very procedural and compliance-based. It's not what we do. It's, it's who we are. It's what we define ourselves as, whether it be restorative practices or trauma-informed learning or um, culturally sensitive education, it, wh- whatever it may be. It's almost as if you look around and you say, gosh, I have a, a friend that teaches at school down the street, and she tells me about the way that they interact with children and families, et cetera. And it's nothing like we do here. And gosh, I wonder why that is. Well, maybe it's because we just value X, Y, Z so deeply. I don't know that it's a 10-step program to becoming a spiritual believer. And I love, by the way, you saying that a crockpot, if you micro doesn't taste as good, I'm, I'm going to use that for sure. But it's just a little bit at a time and you're just kind of tending to it and stirring the pot to uh, stick with the food metaphor here. So um, it's, yeah, I'm going to go mostly with it's not what we do, it's who we are. And I think that's a pretty powerful idea to try to aspire toward. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely correct. The way that we bring about inspiring others isn't about what we personally do. It's like you said, about what we believe and who we are. And and that's where I find the real value in, in bringing about that change is when you connect with people on that level about you're tapping into who they are and what they believe so that it's more than just, you know, here's this initiative we're trying to do, but it's about why did you become a teacher? And if you became a teacher to, you know, to pick on standardized testing, you know, if you became a teacher to, you know, make sure that kids do well on standardized tests, then that's, that's one way to do it. And there are people who are out there who believe that that is the way to do it. And that's their prerogative and that's fine. But that's certainly not what I became an educator for. And so finding those people that through conversation, through building those relationships, and then being able to help them see this is what matters and who you are is exemplified by the way you act and and what you're able to do, that brings out the best in everybody and is a really powerful way to see them, 
you know, just grow at an accelerated rate in a way that they can, you know, really get behind it. Because at that point, it's not about, you know, doing a job anymore. It's about fulfilling a calling. Right. And, and those are two different things. What's your perspective on doing a job versus having a calling? Well, I think, gosh, that's a, that's a heavy topic. I feel like that's another retrospective type situation where you, you recognize that you legitimately love the people you work with and you get butterflies thinking about school starting back up or that winter break's been a little bit too long and I want to see my kids again. And you use words like my kids almost accidentally. It just slips off your tongue. And it, just, it, occur, it occurs to you that you're part of something that is a calling. And I want to go back just briefly to this idea of cultural change and spiritual belief, et cetera. You've been a principal and, and I'm a principal. There's really nothing you or I can do or say in a staff meeting or in an email or in a position paper or on a mission and vision board that means anything. In comparison with the little interactions on a daily basis, it's one thing to say we value Uh, full transparency and honest feedback and respect at our school. But the way you treat somebody when their mom's in the hospital or the way that you treat a family when a kid has had a real difficulty with behavior and you realize the problem is not that the kid doesn't want to behave. It's that he's had some tremendous trauma in his or her life that has really changed their whole perspective on what their needs are, the whole Maslow's hierarchy and, and you pay attention to those things. It's how you act in the arena of little moments and interactions that says who you are and and sets the tone for what you want the school to be. It's never about the August faculty meeting where you say, this year we're going to prioritize XYZ on a PowerPoint. I mean, that's nice and it's a plan and hopefully you can carry through, but your credibility comes and the culture change comes from the everyday interactions and what people can learn to depend on you to be in comparison with what you say you're going to be. That point is really valuable because people believe what you do. They don't believe what you say. And so it's too easy to say something. And especially as you mentioned before, you know, we can change our minds about things, but there are certain things that you and I are never going to change our mind about. You know, we are always going to see kids as human beings first, that they matter, that they have potential and value just because of who they are. It's not like we're going to say, oh, you know what? I actually decided that that kid, because he has red hair, he doesn't mean anything anymore. So I don't like redheads anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> that's not going to happen, right? And right. and so when you have that belief and that's who you are, then those things are going to show as you're working with people. And I, I think that's really important. One of the things that that I got feedback from that a lot of teachers were frustrated about but one person said it in a positive way. And what she said to me was, there is nobody that I've ever met that cares more about kids being successful than you. And sometimes that rubs teachers the wrong way because they think that they are second to the students, that the students come first and teachers come second. And and that's the truth. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's actually the truth for me. I do believe that kids come first and teachers come second. We are here to serve the kids. So if it's between a teacher and a kid, I'm going to do what's right for the kid before I do what's right for the teacher. And she said, yeah, and that teachers see that and they don't actually like it because then they think that they're not important. And I said, well, they're important too, 
but we're here to serve kids. And so in every decision that I'm going to make, this is more about who we are. I'm going to prioritize making life better for the kids. And so that's something that I'm not going to apologize for or try to change who I am because I believe that to my core. And she said, well, now that you know that, now you know why people get frustrated. And once she told me that, then I said, okay, here's what I can do. I can now start explaining why this is better for the kid, even if it's harder for the adult. And being able to be clear about that really helped me establish better relationships and be more clear about my thinking so that people could understand why I was making the decisions that I was making. Sure. Yeah. And I think sometimes people don't appreciate the statement you made about, I'm going to put the kids before the teachers is it's not necessarily that it's you're, you're choosing not to honor the teacher, but what, what you're really saying, I feel like is by doing the right thing for the student may sometimes be less convenient or maybe a more difficult path, but you know, every educator that loves kids and is in the profession for the right reason, under it all, they, they want to be doing the right thing for the child, even if the pathway to get there is more cumbersome for them and cause a little more creativity or a few extra hours of their time. I think that you're exactly right, that the tone you set is one that uh, people, they, they sniff that out pretty quickly. And, and that comes back to this, you know, this idea of, of who we are matters. And so, you know, like when it comes to teachers unions and principal unions and associations and whatever your state may have, when they say that they want to put kids first, I actually don't want that. They're not a student association. They're a teacher or principal association. Mm. I want them to put me first, you know, and they should be fighting. And so every time that I had a a challenge with an association representative or anything like that, um, they were fighting for that teacher, which is what their, their role is. Right. And, and it's really interesting when those things come about, how we respond to that. And, you know, we could probably talk for a while about those kinds of things as well, but I do want to wrap up here with the the final question. What is one thing that a principal can do this week, Justin, to be a transformative principal like you? Well, I have a hard time accepting that I'm a transformative principal. I mean, I think like everybody else out there, they're trying to um, put one foot in front of the other and do the right thing every day. But I would say that one small step would be tomorrow when you go to work, say thank you to somebody who no longer hears it because they're, you're so accustomed to them being so automatically good that it's become no longer necessary to say so. If it's somebody who's never near the drama, somebody who always has their attendance in on time, somebody who they're just solid instructionally great with parents and you spend no time on them because they don't need you. And, uh, but just to pull them aside, either look them in the eye in person or put them on a post-it note stationary is better, but I see you. I recognize you. I appreciate this specific thing you do continuously. It matters so much and you make a tremendous difference. And we, we can't forget that as principals, assistant principals, even teacher colleagues, rec- people love to be recognized. They, they won't ask for it. They will never confess to you that it's something that feeds them. But uh, it, it's, it's a tremendous difference maker. And it could totally change somebody's trajectory for their week or month or year by just saying, you know what, all these things you, you know, break your back to do, I notice them and I admire it so much. And I speak for a lot of people to say I'm grateful. So just show gratitude tomorrow to somebody who's not expecting it. Yeah, I think that that is great. Once again, the book is called The Principal's Toolbox, Real Talk on Tackling School Leadership. And can you tell us where to find that? It is available on Amazon right now, either via paperback or via Kindle. 
And uh, I'll go ahead and, and if it's okay for your show, I if anybody wants to contact me, my Twitter handle is at Happy Teacher Guy. I would be happy to give away a couple of copies of this book to anybody that has uh, listened to the podcast, and especially those that are in uh, aspiring into school leadership or know someone that would uh, would appreciate a copy. I'd be happy to share the material with a few if you want to reach out to me via direct message, and we'll get you set up. Excellent. Thank you very much for doing that. That is at Happy Teacher Guy. Is that what you said, right? Yep, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, please do reach out to him on Twitter. And Justin, thanks again for being part of Transformative Principle. I love visiting with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, Check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.